steps, making sure our tech is working well. If you're here to learn about data-driven messages using audience research to find your winning words, you are in the right place. Uh, I'm Doug Hadaway, uh, founder of Hadaway Communications based in Washington, DC. We're a strategic communications firm. And our mission is to use the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help visionary leaders and organizations like the ones you work for achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. And we're gonna be talking about digging into the science of message development and audience research. And we're gonna really uh, share tools and techniques that you can use to craft messages with maximum motivating power based on understanding what's gonna uh, be most effective with your target audiences. I'm joined by Khalid Smith, who's the Chief Campaign Officer at EME, which is an amazing community of black leaders and allies working to mobilize a large scale movement that supports black people in achieving their highest aspirations. And you're gonna hear a lot more about Vimi and from Khalid in a minute. And Pete Tontillo, um, who's a member of our science team here at Hadaway and working, we're all working together with others to conduct audience research aimed at achieving Vimi's very ambitious goal. So we're gonna walk through this process of message research and development to offer you food for thought about audience research and communication strategy and other. I think you'll see what we're gonna show you is gonna focus on message, but there's a lot more you can learn. Um, so to look at the, I'm gonna make sure I can see your questions if you post them in the chat. We're gonna talk about the power of aspirational communication is some of the science we use. Then we're gonna go through audience research development using this work that BME has, is undertaking now as an, as an example to show you how one organization is using audience research. And you can ask questions along the way. Just go ahead and post in the Q&A if you have questions and we'll get to those as we go. And I think we have, I'm gonna be kind of like a fast talking consultant here. So we get through it quickly and I'm trying to leave as much time as possible. Um, to address your questions. So let's dive right into it, starting with the science. Um, aspirational communication is a method we've pioneered at Hadaway. It's a method for motivating people to support a cause by connecting to the authentic aspirations of the audience. Your aspirations are your ideas about the kind of person you wanna be, the kind of world you wanna live in, the kind of community you wanna have. And th these ideas are what really drive our attitudes and behavior. So by definition, if you're connecting your cause to people's aspiration in some way, you're connecting with what really motivates them. So we're gonna show you an example from a cause we worked on, uh, the marriage equality movement here in the United States. Um, when the uh, Pew, no, when uh, the uh, polling organization Gallup first started, following this issue back in the mid 90s, only 20% of the US public supported legal recognition of same-sex marriages. And over the course of this, um, of a number of years, battle in state after state after state, uh, but that made a change um, in a number of ways, but one of the big things was the messaging and the way it was framed, the way it was introduced to our audiences. And that was part of changing the dynamic, which helped us actually get to 67% support when uh, Gallup uh, surveyed in 2018. Their most recent numbers are actually 70%. Uh, social scientists call that durable attitude change and getting the message right was key. So audience research played a critical role in this. 
the way that the issue had been talked about initially was through the lens of civil rights and the term legal rights and benefits. That's from a policy perspective is what was at stake. Was the government gonna give marriage licenses to same-sex couples, which conferred legal rights and benefits? So that was obviously true and accurate, but it wasn't moving enough people um, to support us on the issue. So what we did, the audience research um, involved talking to our target audience, well, from both angles. First, same-sex couples whose lives were being voted on and the voters who are voting on the issue. And the same in the, with both um, groups, we asked the same question. What does marriage really mean to you? When it comes to marriage, what is your aspiration? And you can see the words on the screen, it's nothing fancy. The aspiration for marriage for most people in this, in this culture was a lifelong commitment to somebody you love. So those became what we call our winning words. We're gonna talk about the science of the language a little more later. So that was the big idea translated into that. And we'll show you quickly how we used it in lots of different ways. That insight from audience research became our frame, love and commitment. And then we used it, for example, here in one of the first advertisements on the issue in Massachusetts, where our company ran the campaign, um, love and commitment deserve protection. What the uh, cognitive science says is, use those winning words first in every communication to really make it stick. So frame it first and then tell strategic stories, tell stories of real people in real situations that bring the idea to life. And of course, do the same thing through the images you use. As you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. This is a story of two women who stuck together after one of them got cancer. Um, and it really brought to life this idea of love and commitment in an authentic way. And then this idea and these words of love and commitment as our message were used in all kinds of communications, not just advertising as shown in the next slide, grassroots organizing, lobbying, media, of course. This really, because it was an authentic, powerful message, it really unlocked the power of this grassroots movement of people to tell their story. And that was really a driver of a lot of the, um, the success that that movement had. There are other things too, of course. But that was just a little sneak, a little peek at some of the thinking behind our approach to language that really resonates. Uh, let's go on to the next slide. Um, sorry, while I catch up, we're gonna switch gears into talking about audience research. Uh, first thing, I know um, everybody here is interested in audience research, uh, but wanted to give you a little ammunition about to discuss why it's important, perhaps with folks in your organization who don't understand the need for it. Um, talking to our audience, conducting this kind of research gives us insight into their beliefs and behaviors, inspiration for words and images and stories and experiences. Um, we're going to focus on message today, but you can learn a lot more as we're going to show you. And of course, you get information for planning campaigns and measuring impact. At the, the end of the day, audience research helps you make informed decisions about what to emphasize of all the things you can say and show and do to engage your audience. What's going to get you the biggest bang for your buck? That's really what this is all about. Here's some more science. To, uh, to give you more uh, insight about why this is so important. Um, audience research helps free us from our own judgments and cognitive biases. This fun 
graphic there is one of my favorites on the topic. This is called the Codex of Cognitive Biases. Basically, it says, no matter what the topic, we all have our own unique perspectives and judgments about it based on our own lived experiences and education, all of that. And our perspectives are obviously perfectly valid, valid, but they are limited. We all have our blind spots. So if our communications only reflect our perspectives and judgments, we're only gonna connect with people who think like we do. So we end up projecting our own way of thinking onto our audience, many of whom might see things very differently. So that's what this is really all about. Cognitive biases are shortcuts that we use every day to make judgments and decisions quickly and effectively, efficiently, I should say. The challenge is that they're not always effective. These shortcuts can lead to conclusions that don't actually match reality or match your audience. So they can be quick and efficient, but also misguided. So rigorous audience research helps us put aside our, our own judgments and preconceptions. And it's really all about listening to your audience to understand how they see things. As you know, good communications always begins with active listening. So that's what this is really about. Uh, so the next slide is going to show you at a high level um, the five steps we think about first at the highest level to get uh, actionable insights. What are, what's information you can put to action that you can use in communications? First, articulate a SMART goal. You can Google SMART goal. It's a whole framework for goal setting that is very useful. It's essentially a goal that's specific, measurable, achievable, relevant to your audience and time bound. You can get it done with a specific period of time. And you wanna, because you have to start there, that's the strategic thinking. What specifically do you wanna achieve? How can communications help you achieve that? Start there before digging into audience research because that orients it strategically. Second, who are those target audiences and what are your objectives with them? The way we like to think about target audience to really get focused on who you should you should um, prioritize in your communications is to ask yourself who needs to do what to achieve that goal. That's your ultimate objective. Because the way we talk about communications objectives, communications can help you achieve three things. They're all measurable. Raise awareness, change attitudes, motivate people to take action. It's that taking action, as you know, is so critical. So start there. Who needs to take action? Let's start there in our focus. Step three, Generate hypotheses and questions. Hypotheses, of course, are your ideas. What ideas do you have for motivating your audience? And then, but, you know, be honest. What do we, what do we think we know? What do we really need to know? Uh, don't assume too much. What do you need to know about engaging your audience effectively? And when we're using the terms engagement, we're thinking messages, of course, but also images, stories, activities, that sort of thing. Of course, step four, and this is where we're really gonna dig in in this webinar, is testing the messages. How do you go about testing messages, images, stories, and so forth to find out what actually does help educate, persuade, and motivate the audience? And finally, step five, then you're developing actionable insights. You're taking all this information. You're gonna learn a lot as we're gonna show you. Then you really have to zero in on what have you learned about the most effective ways to communicate? What specifically can you do with that insight? How can you apply it to a message, to an image, to a story, to an experience, that sort of thing? Um, so we're going to discuss this through the, as I said, the story of Be Me. And I uh, would like to 
and bring in Khalid here. Khalid, if you could start out just sort of introducing yourself, tell us about your background and about BME's mission. Sure. Uh, so hi, everybody. So um, I'm Khalid. Uh, so I'm the, um, as, as Doug introduced, I'm the Chief Campaigns Officer um, uh, at BME. Um, but pro professionally, I've been an engineer, a marketer, a brand manager, uh, an entrepreneur for the last 10 years, and I, I built startup communities. But I think the thread that sort of runs through all my various roles has been a responsibility for innovation and growing businesses. So um, really what I do is like, learn as much as possible about the target and the problem they're experiencing and then sort of systematically test solutions uh, in search of, of traction and, and product market fit. So I've done that for my organization. I've done that as an entrepreneur. I've done that for large companies and small companies. Um, that led me to um, Be Me. Uh, so so Be Me, uh, as, as Doug noted, like we're, we're, a, we're a membership network of Black leaders from around the country. Uh, they are nominated and recognized from within their own communities for the work that they've been doing over decades. And, um, and we support them in a couple of ways. Um, for first off, just practically for their like mental and physical health, as they're often people who are taking care of the community at their own sort of, uh, or, or think about themselves last in terms of their own health and wellness. Um, and, uh, and then secondly, um, we help them in, um, in garnering resources, attention, uh, professional support uh, for them to fulfill their aspirations um, to, um, to live, own, and vote in Excel, uh, which we call this Agenda for Black Love, which is uh, sort of a, a mnemonic that we've used for their uh, collective aspirations that we've asked them, what is it that you're, you're trying to do? Um, and we're garnering uh, support for that from institutional allies and from uh, the public that we'll talk about in a second. And Khalid, we talked about, I mentioned aspirational communication, which is really a big part of how BME communicates. Tell us how you see aspirational communication, why is it important to you all? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit on it when you were, when you're talking through cognitive and, and the importance of it. So, so one, like BME is literally built on aspirational communication. So uh, the, the CEO and founder, uh, Travian Shorters, is the, the, the originator architect of, um, of asset framing, um, which is really a, a concept based in uh, the psychology of sort of primers and your sort of intuitive uh, mind that is making decisions for you, like you said, uh, without you actually even consciously being aware of it, things into context and saying, is this a threat? Is this a, a happy opportunity? Is Etc. And, and so asset framing literally just says that if you make it a practice to identify any group of people or a person that you're working with first by their aspirations and their contributions, then it literally becomes impossible for you to turn around and stigmatize them. Uh, so you, you, you naturally have a, uh, a more open disposition to their ideas, their contributions, and what they're trying to accomplish and see uh, similarities between you and, and what they're trying to do. Uh, and so anytime we were trying to communicate, we really needed to make sure that we were rooted in, the, in that sort of aspirational communications and it became a, a natural synergy for us to work again with you guys at Hathaway. Uh, and let's talk about the love agenda. So the project that we're going to um, use as our example for audience research, as I mentioned, um, BME has a big 
goal to mobilize a large-scale movement in support of this work around something called the Love Agenda. We have a slide about that. Could you tell us about that, Khalid? Sure, absolutely. So, so, um, so the Love Agenda first is is really just. Um, if you say we're going to address people by their aspirations and contributions, well, then the next natural question is, oh, okay, you're a group of black leaders, like, what are your aspirations? Uh, and so when we pulled our group of leaders and said, what are the things that you're trying to accomplish? Um, we kind of parsed out two different things. Like there's been, there's been many, you know, every four years, there's a political conversation that happens around an agenda for black America, et cetera. Um, but those those things are not necessarily the core aspirations of African Americans in their community. Things like you know whether it be like diversifying your workplace or whether it be criminal justice reform or stuff. All of those things are sort of responses to conditions, but not the core and natural aspirations uh, of of this group of people. Um, and when we started to ask them what their core sort of uninterrupted aspirations were, they sort of fell into four different categories that we you know, created a mnemonic for, uh, L-O-V-E. Uh, so the, the, the L is for live, uh, which stands for really like cultural. Um, so it's about loving who you are. It's about knowing and having a deep rooted knowledge in your culture and makes what makes you distinct uh, and, and celebrating that. Um, O is about ownership. So this is about uh, financial control of your future and the ability to bring about the changes and things that you would like to see in your community and yourself, et cetera. Um, v for vote is really about um, political power. It's about having the power to be able to protect and control the interests that are most uh, important to you and to have your voice be heard in the collective voice of Americana. Um, and then Excel is really about like the pursuit of happiness and saying, what are my gifts and aspirations and what are the things that I would like to pursue personally and professionally um, that bring me, um, bring me joy uh, without any sort of uh, stigma or impediments uh, to that sort of aspiration. So when we began to ask people what their aspirations were, uh, they fell into these sort of very uh, Americana, uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness uh, sort of goals. And we thought that that was really important um, and um, our goal with the Agenda for Black Love is to build uh, more public support. So for the first time, BME has been a very um, membership-driven organization. We focus on our Black leaders and their goals, um, but more recently we've begun um, expanding our membership and concern and programming to institutional allies that would like to support the aspirations of these leaders, and then now uh, through this pledges to support the agenda for black love, um, we're, we're really looking for a way to be able to model, mobilize the public, to be able to uh, better publicize the work of our leaders and to uh, rally them together for support when such uh, things might be necessary. So let's look how we translated that. As I said earlier at the beginning, our, you know, our early steps are get strategic focus. What is our goal here, a measurable goal? I think we have a slide that you can speak to there, Khalid, about um, what you just said, and then what's our goal here? Yeah, precisely. So these are these are sort of the concentric circles that we think about BME, the organization. So uh, the, the 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 black leaders who've been uh, recognized by their community are what we call the black leadership family. 
uh, and we exist really to support them and to publicize their work. So everything that Beanie does is actually being done by one of these leaders on the ground, and we're simply amplifying and, and bringing attention to the work that they're doing. Um, and the next is our uh, network of partners. We call them Allies for Equity. And these are people who have you know, gone through our asset framing training, who understand that people are uh, should be addressed by their aspirations and contributions, who've, who've asked themselves the question of, well then, what are uh, black people's aspirations and contributions and who as a, um, as a rule or, or as part of their identity, they'd like to be able to support that. And so they support that through, through resources, through professional services, uh, through money, through publicity, et cetera. And we, we channel and funnel those resources to these black leaders who are already doing excellent work. And now we're answering the question of what can excellence do with more? Um, and then the last part of that is this, this public facing group, right? And so a public facing group is useful in building broader support for policy choices, for, uh, for larger initiatives, et cetera. And so where it made sense for us to have a group that agreed with this idea of black people's aspirations to live, own, vote, and excel, and, and had that as sort of a, um, as a part of their identity, they said, yes, I'm the type of person that believes in this idea, and now we can give them some, um, some tools or some offers that allows them to confirm that and also help us to be able to build more support for our community. So that was the, the so mobilizing 100,000 uh, members was our initial goal. And the key question for us was, who was that type of individual that would hear that story of black people's aspirations to live on vote and excel recognize and identify with that and say i'm the type of person that wants to support that and i'm going to do so by uh following through on this ask that you have of me awesome that sets us up for pete to come in pete's going to walk through how did we answer that question or how are we answering that question because one thing I didn't mention, this is all ongoing work. So y'all are seeing research that's kind of hot off the press here and we're still we're still learning. Sure. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Khalid. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, I'm Pete Tontillo. I'm a director on the science team at Hathaway. And as Doug mentioned, I have been leading the research on this work with, with Doug and Khalid and his team. And sort of as Khalid helpfully introduced, um, the goal that you see on the slide here is what we designed our whole research process around is how do we get to, how do we identify the low hanging fruit to get us to this 100,000, hopefully more than 100,000 people uh, ready, willing and able to support African-Americans aspirations to live, own, vote and excel and to take action to support that agenda that BME is putting forward. And so how do we identify these people and how do we uh, communicate to them in winning words that really connect with what they find motivating and, to, and, and engage them uh, in that way? So, Let's dig into the research process we took to get there. So here's a visual timeline of, of what we've been up to in the last few months. You can see we started in May of this year and we're set to conclude by the end of this month. So clearly we've packed a, packed a lot in here. It's pretty robust, but it's also you know, relatively efficient. Um, and earlier, Doug introduced our five steps to actionable insights. And this is really where we see the rubber meeting the road. So how do we design activities, how do we design processes to actually accomplish each of these steps to get us to our winning words. So today we're going to talk through a couple of these key steps in the process here. Uh, we'll talk about them more in depth through the rest of this hour. And really we hope that talking through this case of, of doing this for this organization 
can help spark inspiration for you all as you think about how to engage your own organizations to find your winning words and express your story in the most compelling way. So we'll start at the left here with the Strategy Summit. Uh, this is where we brought together the core BME leadership team and a couple of high value creative and linguistic exercises to develop hypotheses and ideas to get us started, uh, to get to these winning words about BME's work and impact. Then we conducted a landscape analysis, looking at the way that other organizations communicate in the field, helping our narrative be differentiated in the space um, and be value added. Then we proceeded to our champions workshops where we brought together some key supporters in BME's network to really listen to how they talk about the value of BME and what they see as BME's importance to their lives and to society more broadly. And all of these inputs helped us uh, in July develop our message. Doug is going to talk a little bit later about how we did that. And then we'll talk about how we refined and tested that language in a, a segmentation survey where we you know, got detailed feedback on what words worked, what words didn't work, uh, but also identified that large group of Americans who are aligned with BME's values and vision, who we see as a, as a promising potential audience for the campaign. And then finally, we'll talk about what we're up to now, about how we're taking all these inputs to make sure BME is equipped with messages, tools, and a strategy to help them activate their supporters. So let's start with the strategy summit. Uh, this is how we begin most of our audience research projects. This is usually an in-depth, often a half-day working session with leadership, decision makers, other core staff. And one of the big ideas of this is to start by surfacing words, ideas, hypotheses, questions, that can give us a foundation to build on in the message and audience research and the rest of the project. And one of the highest value exercises we do that is what you see at the top of the screen here. It asks participants to visualize a successful future. The science tells us that 90% of our brain's information processing capacity is visual. And it tells us that people are more likely to be motivated to achieve goals that they can actually picture in their mind's eye. So when you're trying to find your organization's winning words, an important tip is not to just rely on language to get you all the way there, but using visual thinking is absolutely critical in this. So in this visualization exercise, we ask participants to bring a pen and a sheet of paper and to draw two pictures. On the left side of the page, we ask them to draw the world as it looks today, as it relates to their work. And on the right side of the page, we ask them to draw what the future will look like when their work is successful. In this case, when everyone supports the agenda for black love. And you know, there's always a few inevitable moments of moaning and groaning. People say that they're not comfortable drawing. They might look silly. For the record, we usually lean harder into this and bring people like big fat colored crayons to draw with. Uh, but after, after settling down, people take a couple moments, they, they jot down their pictures. Um, and then afterward, everyone goes around and kind of talks through what they drew and people ask them questions about it. And what you'll find is that the exercise really forces people to visualize complex concepts. It forces them to get beyond buzzwords and how they talk about their work and to actually picture the tangible impact that they hope to achieve in the world. So in this case, we have here a drawing from Damien, who's part of the BME team. On the left, he drew the world as he sees it now as it relates to BME's work. So right away, we have two fists kind of colliding at the top of the screen the words versus and me around them, which in his words spoke to this zero sum mindset that permeates the culture, people being at odds, competing furiously for limited resources. And in Damien's mind, this in turn leads to the kinds of toxic economic and human outcomes that we see at the bottom of the screen here as shown in vacant houses. And on the right side, we see a very different picture. The hands aren't fighting anymore, now they're shaking. Uh, they're supporting each other. Versus and me has turned to unity and we. And we see not vacant buildings, but you know, healthier and more successful communities. 
So this image Damien has here of communities being able to reach their full potential is a powerful idea that we see carried through the message. And it really started by engaging, you know, BME's leadership team to see how, how they think about their own work. So then having gathered initial ideas for message in the strategy summit, making sure everything's rooted in the organization's vision, next we expanded to BME's inner circle in what we call champions workshops. So in these, we, we brought together a dozen or so of, of what we call champions, meaning highly engaged supporters of BME in 90 minute online workshops. These are essentially focus groups of supporters. For those who haven't done these before, this is simply gathering people together to have a focused discussion about your topic. So in this case, we uh, listen to champions talk about the importance of BME to their own lives and their own work and their ideas for how they could see their own networks and communities engaging in and supporting the agenda. Um, why conduct champions workshops? So we see these kinds of qualitative workshops as a critical part of our audience research for a couple of main reasons. First, they give us a really important opportunity to speak and listen to your supporters in depth, which gives us the chance to get pretty deep insight into their thinking and behavior about your topic. And as I mentioned, we often start like this by talking to your core supporters, the people who know you best and hearing from them about what they love about you before we try to think about how to expand that love to a larger audience. And this also helps then your biggest supporters see themselves reflected in, in your message. Second, uh, by their very nature, these conversations are free flowing and open-ended and this allows your supporters to talk about your topic in their own words, which is really important for giving you inspiration and ideas for what we call word of mouth language and stories. You know, science shows that people are more likely to retain and repeat messages that sound familiar to them. So using your supporters own words as a foundation for your message is a really good way to help you do that. It can help you craft messages that feel very authentic to your supporters. It sounds like something they already say because they have already said it. And finally, the conversations allow you to explore similarities and differences among people of different backgrounds or mindsets as it relates to your topic and try to look for common ground among those perspectives or on the other hand, barriers to understanding and agreement. So in the case of these conversations, they yielded a lot of really rich information about what champions valued about Be Me and, and yielded a lot of word of mouth language and ideas that ended up informing our message. So for example, this champion on the left here really talked about the personal importance of how his life has been shaped by his experience with BME, how BME introduced him to personal and professional networks, gave consistent mentoring and support by this powerful peer group. And on the other hand, this champion on the right talked about the broader social importance of BME's work as transforming individual lives that then builds upon itself exponentially to transform society. So these dual values were really key and became big ideas that showed up in the message. How the value of BME for members is rooted in family and how BME can transform individual lives with the power of love, connection, and trust. And then again, how this creates a ripple effect by transforming individual members of the BME community. Those members can then go out and transform the communities they serve who can then uh, in aggregate transform society at large. So now I'll turn it back to Doug and Khalid to discuss their uh, reflections on sort of the value of this process. Uh, we're down to less than 20 minutes, so let's go ahead and dive into the messaging itself flowing from here, Pete. If you could just skip ahead to the um, to the love agenda language, I'll skip the science of winning words and go into the words we put together. So we drafted a message drawing from this kind of qualitative research um, that Pete was talking about to reflect those ideas, obviously. We drafted a message about each element of the love agenda. And the first statement that you see under each in bold 
um, is the aspiration, the outcome. Like we strive to live healthy and fulfilling lives. That's that uh, outcome, the aspiration we're aiming for. And then the rest of the message under it is what BME does to support that goal. Now this is framing language. It's not meant to explain it all. It's meant to introduce the topic. Um, so that's what you're seeing here. BME can do a lot of different things within each of these categories. And this is really just to introduce the idea. And as you'll see, um, uh, Khalid and the, and the group is, and BME is thinking of lots of different things they can do here. And you can see ideas that Pete mentioned from the qualitative research, supporting the lives and well-being of leaders whose work creates the ripple effects, helping communities reach their full potential. Those are just two um, two of the ideas showing up the language that came right out, right directly from their folks. And the words are meant to be evocative and create emotional responses and create images in the mind's eye. That's some of the science. Your, your messaging needs to create emotional response because emotion works with cognition. It works with thinking to help us with attention and retention and motivation. Um, as Pete said, we are more likely to achieve goals we can picture. So under live, for example, you can, you can picture people living healthy and fulfilling lives. If you look under vote, you see actions, action words like vote and volunteer, those invoke images. You see values language like rights, freedom, safety, those, those can create emotional resonance. You also see rhythm and rhyme, um, respected and protected. There's really interesting research showing that, these, that the techniques of poetry that create aesthetic effects uh, make, make words and messages more believable and memorable to people. So we put this language that you're looking at here to test in a national survey, which Pete will explain. And there was a group of people who took that survey who gave this language a big thumbs up. They were really motivated about it. And they answered other questions, which gave us a lot of insight. So Pete is gonna dig into that and we'll keep moving along. Yep, absolutely. So this kind of qualitative research, in this case, a quantitative, or quantitative research rather, in this case, a quantitative survey of US adults, is always a critical part of our audience research process. Um, first, they allow us to hear from a much larger, much more diverse audience than qualitative research or focus groups would allow us to do. So like we're talking from, we're going from uh, talking to a dozen people say to talking to more than a thousand people. And these thousand people can then represent your actual audience and all its demographic diversity, which can in turn give you greater confidence in the validity of your results. And in this case, you know, we're talking about a, a large national survey, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can also do a quicker, more efficient survey of your grantees or partners or email subscribers, which can still be an effective uh, and efficient way to gather perspectives on your topic. Second, uh, quantitative research allows us to measure key aspects of your audience. For example, their awareness of your topic, their attitudes towards it, their response to messages, their willingness to take action to support you. And each of those outcomes is measurable. Um, surveys can also be a powerful tool to provide a baseline to measure changes over time. So you can evaluate how well your campaign's performing in the real world. So in this case, thinking about message, when we think about how to measure people's response to your messages, there are a couple ways to do that. The first and simplest way is just to show them the message and ask them what they think overall. So in this case, we see those four messages, live, own, vote, and excel that Doug just showed. The survey gave respondents each of these messages and then asked them to rate how warmly they felt toward each statement on the on a scale of zero to 100. And the very high percentages you see at the top of the screen here show that target audience's average rating out of 100 toward the statements. 
So really simple measures like these can help us get a read on your audience's overall attitudes towards your message. And in this case, it's telling us that, you know, BME's messages about their agenda are resonating with their audience. So that's, you know, reassuring, but it's not the only tool we can use. We can dig deeper. So another method we use is to ask questions after the message to try to get a clearer understanding of how your message makes your audience feel or how it reflects on your brand uh, as an organization. For example, in this survey, after the message, we gave people a list of emotion words like this and asked them to select as many as they felt like reflected how the message made them feel. So they can select as many as they want. Uh, and then we gave them another list on the right here and asked them how the message made them feel about BME's work. And again, they could select as many as they wanted. Here are the top four words that people selected for each question. And we like these types of emotion questions because the science suggests that certain emotions motivate people to take action while others can make people feel disempowered and demotivated. Uh, as Doug mentioned earlier, emotion works with cognition to help us with attention, retention, and motivation. So we need our messages to be speaking to the head and the heart. And the results that we see here, for example, on the left, that these messages are making people feel optimistic, interested, inspired, motivated. That's exactly the kind of thing that we want to see if the message is meant to uh, motivate action and support. And the second diagnostic here on the right, this is useful because as an organization, everything you say creates a chain of associations that affects how people think about you. So you want to make sure that your message creates the right image of your organization. And again, the words that we see here that the message makes people think that BME's work is caring, meaningful, important, passionate, is presenting a positive image that we want to be creating of BME as caring, passionate people doing meaningful and important work. Another more detailed way of analyzing your winning words is to look at the specific words in the messages that the audience likes. So in this case, uh, as another question after the message, we asked respondents to click on all the words in each message that they especially liked. And we see, that the we see the results of that exercise on screen here using just one of the messages as an example. So in this, uh, the bigger the word is, the more times people clicked on it, meaning the more times people liked it. So you can immediately see how the data gives you really good fodder for finding your winning words. For example, people seem to be really responding to active words that help them see political engagement, vote, volunteer, engage. People are responding to the benefits of that engagement uh, at the bottom of the message here, ensuring that rights, freedom, safety, humanity are respected and protected. As a way of getting at the opposite of this, we also ask people to click on all the words they found confusing. And that's what we see at the bottom here in red. Again, the bigger the word is, the more people found it confusing. And we kind of see the mirror image of what we saw above here. So despite these positive reactions to the tangible terms, Many people are getting confused by the abstract terms. What does it mean to advance democratic principles? What does it mean to engage in the democratic process? So for us, these words really helped us focus and show the importance of using simple and vivid language when you're talking about these concepts to help people really see the impact and how they can get involved. Doug, would we like to pause for a minute to hear from you and Khalid about uh, what, what we learned from this message testing research? Khalid, any thoughts? Um, yeah, just that um, this was this part of the research was was highly confirmational for us. So uh, we knew that our um, our message uh, was was one that resonated within our community, uh, but but our, our our biggest concern was 
how large was the overall audience for this message? And is was there a, a, a larger group of people beyond just these black leaders that would hear this message and say, yeah, this, this completely makes sense for us. So this was the beginnings of, and, and we'll see a little bit later uh, that there was, um, this was there was real confirmation for us that the the target that we had been looking at was a lot more sizable than we initially had anticipated. Yeah, let's move on to that because um, that was really a big aha moment for BME. Pete, we have a few folks asking just a real quick answer. What tools do we use to conduct a survey and have people uh, do the click on words they like and don't like? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the tool that we have been using for the last couple of years, we're really satisfied with it, perfectly comfortable plugging them here is Qualtrics. Qualtrics is a good one-stop shop for you know, helping you find people to survey, helping you actually write your survey and put it up online, and then helping you analyze the results. So we definitely have had a lot of success with uh, that platform. Uh, we have our email up here if any of you have questions about uh, more detailed methodology stuff after this. All right. Thanks. So let's get into it. So uh, apart from message, you know, thinking back to our project goal of finding and engaging 100,000 plus people ready, willing, and able to support the agenda for Black love. Um, one of the big goals for our survey was also to try to identify that potential audience of Americans who are ripe for the picking and give uh, be me how idea give be me ideas for how to communicate and engage them. Um, so as Doug, you know, mentioned at the beginning, our ideas about the kind of people we want to be, our aspirations for ourselves, are what really drive our behaviors. So we wanted to make sure we get at that uh, to try to understand why people might want to support an organization like BME. So to get at that, we asked a series of questions about Americans' attitudes and aspirations that are relevant or tangential to this topic that to get could get at all the diversity of, of reasons why someone would want to engage with an organization like BME. For example, that racial equity is top of mind for them, that they care about achieving financial success so they might want to help others achieve financial success that there are many issues and causes they're passionate about, so therefore they can add this one to the list, that kind of thing. So there was a couple dozen of these types of questions. People uh, saw this list of statements and rated how much they agreed with each statement on a scale of zero to seven. We then asked another long series of questions about people's life circumstances and their everyday behaviors that might inform how BME could expect to engage with them. So for example, do they already regularly volunteer in their community? Do they donate to good causes? Do they have a lot of free time for us to engage them with? That kind of thing. So taken together, these two, these two sets of questions really help us key in on that audience that's ripe for the picking based on not only their mindsets, motivations, and aspirations related to the cause, but also their circumstances and behaviors that would make them uh, able to be engaged. And by analyzing people's res uh, responses to those questions, looking for patterns in the ways that different people responded, uh, we were able to identify a, a pretty sizable group of Americans who exhibit these five, what we call drivers of behavior that in our opinion, make them great candidates to be motivated to support BME. So this group of people really wants to improve society. They're motivated to improve themselves. They're really motivated to have fun in their everyday life. They want to support other leaders doing good work, and they're willing to take all kinds of action to do so. We call them the progress builders. Here's a little bit more about them uh, that shows why we really see them as low-hanging fruit to be engaged for the cause. First and foremost, they care about BME's issues. They want to address racial divisions. They believe that racial discrimination is not a thing of the past, i.e. it's something that still needs to be addressed. So they're really aligned with BME on these kind of table stakes issues of racial equity. 
And not only that, but this audience is distinguished because they share BME's particular mindset about how to make progress on these issues. So like BME, the progress builders don't ignore the problems of racial divisions and discrimination, but nevertheless see themselves as optimistic. They believe that the next generation will have more opportunity than the last. They believe that the system can be fixed. It doesn't have to be thrown out. And this gives us really valuable information for voice and tone for how we might communicate with them about BME's issues. Uh, I.e. our tone needs to be positive, solutions oriented, not pessimistic or cynical about the possibility for change. And third, we got good insight on how to craft content and activities to engage them. So we found that uh, the progress builders are motivated by self-improvement, by being their best selves. They're focused on personal and financial success. They want to be respected by others. They have a lot of self-efficacy. They believe they can make a difference through their personal actions and behaviors. And they want to be a part of something bigger. They enjoy meeting people. They want to have fun. They seek out and celebrate black culture. And they already regularly volunteer in their community and donate to good causes, share information with others about issues they care about, and encourage people to get involved. So taken all together, this is a really great opportunity to give people ideas for how to engage them. So give them opportunities for learning and self-growth, give them fun opportunities to take action as part of a community. It becomes like a really rich profile of, the, of this group. And even better, uh, the progress builders we found were approximately 19% of our survey respondents, which translates to about 30, 39 million US adults. So it's a really great opportunity. And finally, as the picture collage suggests, it's a very diverse audience, including people of all genders, races, ages, and political parties, um, helping give BME a really diverse and large swath of Americans to, uh, to live out their values and, and support Black aspirations. With that, I'll turn it back to Doug and Khalid to sort of discuss the possibilities that BME saw in this research. Yeah, Khalid, we'd love to hear from you. What, was the, what, did, the, what did all this mean for BME? Sure. Uh, so this this was this was definitely some of the most powerful uh, re results coming out of the research. Um, and what it told us was that BME knew that it was targeting a uh, a very specific leader that had a very specific set of attitudinal responses. That they were not so much interested in the performative aspects of protest, um, but they were. Uh, committed to building solutions uh, and building them locally within their communities and spending time on them for extended periods of time beyond um, the sensational element when the cameras are there, etc. Uh, they were they were they were working on these things like we said for decades, uh, and then when the opportunity arose, uh, when there was some sort of crisis. They saw that as an opportunity to say, let's start with a blank sheet of paper and let's build something. So we knew that we were building around this, this psychographic, but, um, or this, this profile of a person. But what we didn't know is that that profile of a person made up the core of a much larger group uh, that, that was more diverse, that went across uh, ages and, uh, and political um, uh, leanings and, and, and racial and ethnic dem demographics, et cetera, that they could really form the core of a larger group of people, a larger group of Americans that uh, was a pretty sizable target. And so that really uh, informed our thinking as to how large of a group could we think to target and could we do it really authentically using our membership and the work that we had already done as proof points as to BME being solid or, or being solidly uh, positioned as 
a leadership group that shares their same attitudes, identities, and, and, and proclivities. Yeah, that's a really good way to, to put it. If you remember back at the beginning of the presentation, we talked about sort of the science behind this is when our audience sees their own aspirations reflected. In this case, what kind of person am I? What kind of person do I want to be? What we're finding is potentially 39 million people who look at BME's family and see their aspirations reflected in the folks that Khalid has, you know, stories, you know, the amazing stories about what they're doing. And that's what we'll go to next is show how we're using this for um, storytelling and communication. And we have uh, slightly over five minutes. So we'll do that quickly. And we'll try to get to some of the uh, questions that we have. Um, so real quick, uh, Pete showed these drivers. Um, we're going to show you a piece, just one example of how you take that sort of insight and apply it to a piece of content. This is a video posted on Instagram. I leave with a natural high. I leave recharged. I'm ready to take whatever I'm doing to the next level. I feel like a new woman. I'm ready to do what I have to do. So what you see here uh, in the language on the right, which is framing that, you can click on the video to learn a lot more about the person, but you see how we're using language. She's talking about being a new woman. She's transforming or improving herself. That's reflecting the audience. The audience wants to support leaders like her. Uh, this is language tested that you already saw. It comes right out of our language testing. Um, we know that having fun to this group means learning and socializing. So meeting and learning is offering an, an experience for them. And of course they wanna improve society. So just a few words on Instagram are activating at lots of levels. And Khalid, you're of course using this research. Let's, uh, we'd love to hear how you're putting this to work in, um, in what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this research has been, um, foundational in informing what are the ways that we appeal to uh, groups to get them to sign on to our pledge to support the agenda for black love what are some of the offerings that we might give them so beyond just asking them to support us uh, we, we followed uh, a few of the of the playbooks of, of functional organizing uh, which is around um, offering people um, small benefits and tangible things that both reinforce who they are, but also give them some practical reason to go and to, uh, to support you. So uh, similarly, you know, AARP or uh, AAA or other organizations do this where they send you a tangible benefit, but then also sell you on the um, emotional or identity-based reasons why this is a reason, this is an organization that aligns with your values. Um, so as we've been testing those, we've been testing according to those drivers that Doug showed earlier of wanting to be part of something larger than themselves or uh, wanting to have um, uh, or, or approaching problems from a solution-oriented framework and always wanting to build rather than to focus your energy on protesting or uh, removing something, or they're, they're focused on, um, on self-actualization or personal success or self-improvement. So we've created language that couches some of these offers that we have in different uh, benefit areas. And we've been testing each of these to figure out 
really what's the lowest cost of customer acquisition? Like what, what messages can we put out there that resonate most with this audience um, that would allow us to do, um, take work that is already being done by our, our family members and repackage that as some sort of uh, tangible offer for this group and get large numbers of people to sign up. And so we've been um, using social media to test those uh, various offers uh, to inform us as to uh, how we're going to move forward in building this 100,000 uh, plus list. I'm looking at a couple of the questions in our Q&A. And um, one is, are there ways to take these principles and apply them on a smaller scale? Um, if yes, how would you prioritize your time and resources? Khalid, do you have thoughts on that? Are there ways to take these principles and apply them on a smaller scale? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the... Yeah, I was thinking we do, and we often get this question because what we showed here was a six month process, a well-resourced research oh, development. And okay, then a lot of folks it. like okay. at a small nonprofit, they don't have the resources to do this yeah. sort of thing. So, so let me let me say that like you know while we've engaged Hathaway and we've done this sort of this research, but like some of the work that I'm doing with this data is really you know fielding Facebook ads, and and honestly like that work can be done on the like hundred to five hundred dollar uh, investment level. It depends on the level of fidelity that you want to get and how much you're going to invest in the actual campaign itself. Um, but but the work is not entirely expensive. Uh, so, you know, I'm putting in on the order of, you know, 500 to $1,000 on a particular test, but, but this, this work can be done. Um, you can get, you know, the numbers that I'm getting on, um, you know, the, the cost per clicks on Facebook are somewhere in the $2 range. Uh, so if you, if you think about having, you know, 100 respondents or 200 respondents as a statistically significant number um, that you're looking at an investment of like, you know, four to $500. Yep. Another way, just real quick to apply those principles, like um, that Pete talked us through in those steps that we talked about, start with your own inner circle. Remember the concentric circles that Khalid spoke to start with your colleagues, with your current donors, start there. Why do you love this organization? Why do you care about this cause? very intentional, do that exercise Pete showed. That'll give you ideas from the very beginning and then go to a larger circle out. That could be people on your email list. Um, and a lot of times people like might be on your email list. They're not thinking about you every day. They're definitely you know a, a larger circle out that you could use uh, an inexpensive or free survey software just to, just to test it with a somewhat larger group that at least gets you out of your own head and listening to others, even if you can't afford to go to the general public. Um, there is a uh, link in the chat uh, that you can um, go to to get that copy of that five-step uh, framework that I showed and we just have been showing a couple resources here on the screen if you'd like to wonk out um, you can go to our Achieve Great Things blog or podcast um, and this article on Stanford Social Innovation Review about the science of aspirational communication. Um, I think we've got all the questions and we're out of time. Khalid, thanks so much for taking a break up from your time out in Colorado Springs. We're all jealous. 
<laughs> it was my pleasure. Hey, this is this is great work, and I'm excited to see um, other folks be able to apply this. So you guys can see, I'm I'm just Kali Bimi community. So if folks have other questions about the implementation or what we're doing with this research and stuff like that, I'm I'm happy to uh, to field any questions. Thanks so much, Pete. Thanks. Cheers. Happy Comnet, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a good weekend. Okay.